And we're going to look at uh, the next one in our Living Well series, which is looking at Proverbs. And uh, this one is a heart at peace. And we're, we're going to go straight to look at Proverbs 14, verse 30, which is going up on your screens. That's the text for this morning. I, I don't really particularly want to read it in context because the funny thing about Proverbs is you don't have to worry about the context. It's a very odd book. You normally do worry about the context. Not worry, you know what I mean. Have a concern. You, you need to look at what was being written around it and all the rest of it. But Proverbs is not like that. You can genuinely take a verse just out and look at it. It's a collection of sayings, of wisdom sayings, as we've been looking at all this year. And they're things where God is giving us insights into life and into our lives. And this one is a a wonderful and powerful one. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. I love it. Let's talk about it. We're going to look at it under four headings. First of all, I want to talk about true health. True health. This verse is wisdom from God, from our maker. And I think we need to understand that. God knows how we are made. He made us. We didn't make ourselves. And God has wonderfully and intricately made us. We are an incredible work of art and science and engineering by the living God. All of us sitting here are little miracles as we sit here. And one thing in Proverbs and through the Bible is clear, that God says that we are more holistic than we often realize, that our health relates to far more than merely what's happening in our bodies, what's happening in our spirits, what's happening in our souls, our minds, those sort of things, more nebulous internal, are very important for our body. We as human beings are more than flesh and blood. We are. We have souls, we have spirits, we are more than flesh and blood. We have a spiritual part, we have souls, we have emotions, we have all that brings the creativity and sometimes the grimness of human life. You can see both, but there is a lot more to us than just a mechanical sort of uh, machine, a body, a lot more. Now in the Bible, health is closely linked to overall peace. And there's a Hebrew word that comes up quite often in the Bible, and it's called shalom. And shalom is usually translated, I think, in English, peace. But it's a far richer word than peace. It's about well-being. It's about peace and well-being in all levels of life, in relationships as well as in your personal physical health. It covers physical, emotional, relational, spiritual well-being. And it's what God brings in his purest uncluttered form when he's, it, there's not sin and judgment, when, when there's a clarity, when there's no clouds between us and in its extreme and completeness in the age to come when God sets up his kingdom under Jesus. Shalom will be what it's all about. And that is peace both internally, physically, health prosperity, if you like, well-being, and there is provision of all things, relationships, peace between men and women, peace between nations and peoples. When God brings peace, he does it fully. It is genuinely prosperity and health. It really is contentedness, reconciliation, no more war. 
You know, all the things that we pick up at times as we read our Bibles. That's what real peace is, and God brings it. That's the peace of God. Now, Jesus is described as the Prince of Peace because Jesus loves to bring that. He is the Prince who brings peace, shalom, into our lives and wherever he reigns. Where he reigns, wars cease, as one old hymn says. And that's what will happen eventually in its completeness. But we're in an in-between time now. We need to dig into that. We will do in a few minutes. The full realisation then is in the age to come. But even now, we can taste something of that peace. There's another word that's, that's used quite a bit in the, particularly the New, well, both Testaments. That's the word rest. And, and you could argue that's a bit similar And Jesus particularly invites us to quote him from Matthew 11. It's not on the PowerPoint. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So Jesus is saying, even in the midst of storms, even before the great shalom to come, You can have rest and shalom in me. I will give you peace. And there's a number of places where Jesus makes that very clear, that I came to bring peace, not as the world gives. And he talks about giving it almost like a tangible thing, his peace. So the Bible is very clear that as we connect with God, there is a peace that comes that is far more than just uh, some tranquility of mind. There's a wholeness And in fact, the God who made us says, my peace on the inside will even bring a healing on the outside. There's an impact on your body from the peace I bring. It's healing and wholeness, mind, spirit, body, and relationships. Our salvation is about the same. Our salvation is about being saved in every area of life. Being saved from our sin and judgment, of course, and having peace with God being reconciled to the living God. But the impact too is that we will have a salvation in our lives. We'll be saved from our own folly really and sin and sin's impact on our lives. We can be saved from some of the dysfunction and and the suffering even of living in a sin-sick world. There's even hope of healing and deliverance from demonic oppression. The, The wickedness that breeds a sort of demonic restlessness and and bondage and destruction. There can be peace in that area as well. Jesus brings peace and wholeness in a sin-sick world. God's, God's in the business of a full salvation coming into our lives. And the Bible keeps showing that you need to understand that if you get it right with God... As you get it right with God, let's not make it too if, like as though it's a challenge. It's, it, it, it's a truth that we can enjoy. As we get it right with God, it, the peace and presence and rest and shalom, whatever you want to call it, actually has a beneficial effect on your relationships, on your physical well-being, literally your bodies, and your mental state as well. And there's something of bringing almost a peace with you that will impact other people when you really are walking in the Spirit and letting the Prince of Peace rule in your life. We are bringers of peace. When the angels proclaimed the birth of Jesus on the first Christmas, they said, peace on earth, goodwill to all men. This is the beginning of something very, very important. And we are in it 
and we can bring it to a degree. That's, it's as big as that. And so when we're talking about this subject, we're looking at something that's very far-reaching. As we get ourselves cleared up and relate in our relationship with God, we bring peace and health to our own bodies. I, I, yeah, I was going to give a negative example. I'm not going to. I'm <laughs> just flicking my page here. So a heart at peace is really important for us to understand and enjoy these things. What, what does it mean to have a heart at peace? Let's stop. So what does it mean to have a heart at peace? Because that's what we're going to be looking at. Well, sometimes when you want to see something, you sometimes need to look in the opposite direction, first of all, to see it. Sometimes, if you want to see the back of your head, Marion, when she's doing her hair, likes to look at the back of her head sometimes. And so she looks that way at a mirror and puts a mirror here. I do the same, but there's not much to see, really. (laughs) There's no surprises back here. (laughs) I don't think I ever bother, really. But Marion, I think, quite regularly, wants to see somewhere. And so she looks in the opposite direction to see what's happening at the back of her head. That's an example. You could look, you know, try to look at something in an awkward position. You sometimes look the other way. You put a mirror there, look the other way. So I'm actually going to do that a little bit this morning because I'm going to start. What is peace? What's peace of the heart? I'm going to start unpacking that by looking at the opposite, looking at the envy one. I'm going to start by looking at the envy disease. So we're talking about true health, which God brings, which is linking us all together, mind, body, and spirit. Now we're trying to say, well, we want to be people with a heart at peace. Well, let's look at the opposite. Let's look at the mirror opposite. Let's just look at it to learn a bit. Let's talk about the envy disease first. It's the second clause in our verse, but we're going to look at it first. So what's envy? Now, I guess you all know, I'm not being rude, but it's sometimes quite good to just remind ourselves. So here's a dictionary definition. Envy, a feeling of discontent and resentment aroused by and in conjunction with the desire for the possessions, qualities, or good fortune of another. Let's just, just let that set. I mean, it's an obvious thing, but let's remind ourselves. What is envy, which will undoubtedly disturb our peace and is almost the opposite to a heart of peace? So what is it? It's a feeling of discontent and resentment aroused or linked to a desire for the possessions, qualities, or good fortune of another person. Now, the funny thing is, in our modern world, envy is not seen as a particularly serious problem. I think we use envy regularly to sell stuff. Our whole consumerist, materialist world works quite a lot on the principle of envy, that I provoke envy, and it's an okay... I think there's a perfume called envy. I was thinking about this this morning. You know, it's quite lightly and ironically used. It's not something we get that uptight about. Envy, it's quite laughable. You know, you envy me, I'll make you envy me, blah, blah, blah. And, And we actually sell things. And we've got to have a bit of a smile about it, a little bit of a like, hey, that's how we are. But actually, if we go back a few centuries, people were wiser than we are. And one of the words that used to be used for envy was this. It was called one of the diseases of the soul. Listen to that. Envy is one of the diseases of the soul. Envy, with regard to the soul, is like K2 
cancer or very serious heart problem is to the body. Envy is quite a serious disease of the soul. One old writer says this, Envy wastes the spirits and consumes even the strongest and most inward parts of the body. Envy wastes the spirits and consumes even the strongest and most inward parts of the body. Another writes, A fretful, envious, discontented spirit makes you ill. Hey, is that right? I think it is. I think that's what God's saying. A fretful, envious, discontented spirit makes you ill. So this is not really a light thing. It's not saying to laugh off and just be ironic about. The wisdom of God would say, take it seriously. We don't really need to go away from our verse. Envy rots the bones. <laughs> rots the bones. That suggests something really fundamental, really disabling, really destructive in our bodies. And we need to be alert to the terrible dangers of envy. It's quite interesting. When I was preparing this, I found myself struggling to get anything very big. When I was reading around it, I mean, I understand the words like you do, but when I was trying to get stirred and provoked by it, anything really grabbed me that was written recently. I don't think people write on this sort of thing, which I think is, shows that we Christians have picked up the culture. When you go back, people understood envy. And I love, you know, I, I, lo- I sometimes love stuff that's well-written or a bit, bit vivid or picture, picturesque. And I came across this by a guy called William Arnott writing a commentary probably in about 1830. So this is nearly 200 years ago. But I love the way he writes, so I'm going to read you a paragraph or two. Envy is a mysterious and terrible disease. The nerves of sensation within the man are attached by some unseen hand to his neighbours all around him so that every step of advancement which they make tears the fibres that lie next to his heart. You got the picture? Envy means you've got like a string, an invisible string attached to everybody. So every bit of advancement, oh, ow, oh, every time they make a step forward, ouch, it hurts you. That's very vivid. Every step of advancement which they make tears that, the fibres that lie next to his heart. The wretch enjoys a moment's relief when the mystic cord is temporarily slackened by his neighbour's fall. <laughs> I love it. Why don't we talk like that now? I love it. The wretch enjoys a temp- <laughs> I can't resist reading it again. The wretch enjoys a moment's relief when the mystic cord is temporarily slackened by his neighbour's fall. You know what he means. Oh, great, they've come a cropper. <laughs> I feel a little bit better today. But his agony immediately returns again as he anticipates another twitch as the fallen one is restored to prosperity. (laughs) Oh no! (laughs) Ouch! They're up again! Oh, they're doing all right! (laughs) I mean, in a way, it's so vivid and so Victorian, or pre Victorian actually. uh, But actually, it's true, isn't it? You know, sometimes it helps you just to stop and think, 
Actually, it's like that. Envy means you're tied to what happens to everybody else. And when they go, things go well, the selection of people probably you know, when things go well for them, you, oh, oh, why not me? And then when things go badly, oh, I feel a little bit better now. Oh, though they've been helped, they've got over it. Now, we actually envy in different areas. The fact of the matter is, we don't all have this cord in the same way. We don't all, we're not all attached in the same way. For some people, the battleground is material possessions, other people's houses, other people's cars, other people's jobs, other people's salaries, prosperity, inheritances they get. We really struggle with envying them. For other people, it's more relationships, another person's friendship, their boyfriend or girlfriend, or the fact they don't seem to have any problem getting a boyfriend or girlfriend. Or we can envy another person's, more seriously really, husband or wife. No, no, it's all serious. Don't let me say that. All envy is serious. And, we can, and there's envy about relationships and people. It can be status, people's status, people's education, their intelligence, their physical appearance. We envy their physical appearance as opposed to our own. We, we are genuinely envious of it. But it can get quite close to home. I was thinking about this. We can envy another person's role in the church. We can envy what we see as perhaps they're being honoured or some status. Now, I, I, you know, you want to be honest when you're preparing this. I thought, what, what? I think, you know, God helps you to disconnect these cords sometimes, but I think all through life, the areas, I would say, felt vulnerable often. It wouldn't be something many of you would experience, I think, of battling with envy with other church leaders' success. When other church leaders do well, or their church grows fast or big, or they're clearly gifted in an area where I feel I lack gift. And you can find yourself getting a bit negative, a bit knocky, or a bit, and the old cord slackens when something comes, goes wrong. Oh, right, they've got financial problems. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, oh, oh dear. Oh, you've had a tough week, have you? Poof, I feel a little bit better this morning. <laughs> And then suddenly they have a miraculous provision. <laughs> oh yeah, we had a real financial crisis and someone turned up and gave us, oh good. <laughs> and you know, the reality is, it can be a bit like that. That's the reality. I mean, I, you think, I do not want to feel like this. But, but that is not a heart at peace. You get the point behind all this. We're learning where our vulnerable areas are. As I say, they will vary and they can change over the years. They really do. They can change as you grow up and as you pass from one phase to another. Uh, and, and sadly, if you're not solving it, this is the really furious, infuriating thing. You can get over your envy of an earlier phase in your life because you may get some solution to something you used to envy. But that cord will attach to something else. You know, I mean, this isn't a particularly profound one, but I found myself slightly tempted to envy people who have big pensions and can retire early. I'm, you know, at my age, it's, and I think no, it's not quite as deep as some of the other. But you can think, no, no, I'm not envious. No, God, thank you for uh, you know. But you actually have to do a little bit of business when you're feeling a bit tired or a bit overworked or a bit low or something, because it's very easy to envy someone else. Envy twists everything. God's good to them. Why isn't he good to me? That can be something that comes out. Why not me? What have they done to deserve it? 
What have I done not to deserve it? And all of that sort of stuff goes through your head. But it's actually doing you a lot of harm. One modern writer, I did find writing openly on it, on this passage said, people who are always envious and jealous of others, who are full of anger, bitterness and anxiety, are just inviting sickness and disease to take up residence in their body. That's quite straight. Inviting sickness and disease to take up residence in their body. So what is the answer? Well, we've seen part of it. The answer is to have a peaceful heart, and a peaceful heart must bring a solution to the envy problem. So let's move on to a peaceful heart. A heart at peace gives life to the body. Well, I'd say this first of all. Grace and peace go together. Can we put up 2 Peter 1 verse 2 for me? Thank you. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. That's a lovely verse from Peter's letter. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Grace and peace do go together. Bear with me and listen because I'm trying to take you with me on this. Envy, you see, does not understand grace. Envy doesn't get grace. Because envy thinks it's about earning, it's about deserving, it's about things like that. You don't understand grace. You see, God is a good God. He is a God of grace. And we all, sitting in this room, we are all enjoying things we do not deserve. If you want to get into the deserve level, it's a bit sobering what you deserve. (laughs) You don't deserve anything. You deserve death and judgment. Now, we are not there. God is gracious even in all he gives in the general world, let alone what we get specifically as we come to know Jesus. And obviously, we'll look at that in a moment. Envy needs to be counteracted by understanding grace. Grace will bring peace. Grace and peace in abundance. If you understand grace, and I know we've preached on this so often that I'm almost assuming an understanding, but I'll have to before time. If you understand grace, the free giving of God, the goodness of God given freely to you, then you are grateful for what you've got rather than envious of what others have got. And so grace is a big counterweight to envy and a big platform for peace. Now actually, God says envy is a sin. And that's worth hearing because it is a sin. And it's not a sin that we're so popular to talk about as sin. You know, it's not so easy to there's lots of obvious sins, aren't there? People talk about Christians often talk about them. But envy is a sin. And so one part of answering it is we need to ask for forgiveness and receive the grace of God for being envious. So when I have my battles, like I described, one thing I have to do to put that right is repent of my envy. Not just sort myself out, you know, sort yourself out, you know, deal with it. Yeah, that's how people talk, isn't it? Deal with it. I was chatting on a, well, queuing up for a plane in one of my trips in the last six months with a, a young guy who's going around the world surfing, it seemed to be. Well, he was. He was going different surf. And I forget how the conversation went, but he was talking. Somehow we got into battling with something in his life, and you just have to deal with it. Now, I understand the term, but 
actually, some things, we understand you repent of them. That's how you deal with them. You repent and you ask forgiveness. You repent and you ask forgiveness. And that is a starting point here. And then you receive the grace of God and with it will come peace. God, I'm so sorry for my lack of gratitude. I'm so sorry for looking enviously at that person. I'm so sorry for that critical, bitter spirit I started. I'm so sorry for that unkind pleasure their failure gave me. I am really sorry, Lord. I mean, seriously sorry. And Lord, I ask you to forgive me. And then you will find there is a cleansing and forgiving. Because the good news is the gospel brings an answer to our sin and it brings the grace peace and mercy of God abundantly available to us. How? Through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So as we get to know Jesus as our Savior, as he cleanses us from our sin, we come to know God as our Father. And we begin to put our eyes on him. And that's what we do. We put our eyes on Jesus. So this isn't on the PowerPoint, but the Hebrews 12, the writer says this, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin brackets envy, that so easily entangles us. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So one of the answers is to envy, a big answer, is that you realize you are a receiver of the grace of God. You repent of your sin, you're looking to him as your gracious redeemer and saviour, And so, you no longer run looking at all what everybody around you is doing. You've got your eyes on Jesus. And you are therefore able to lay aside some of these ropes that entangle you. Some of these cords that entangle you. One of big one is envy. You untangle it. It doesn't chuck and twitch every time something happens to someone else that honors them or elevates them and and slacken when they come down. and All that funny nonsense. It doesn't because you're untangled. You've got your eye on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Jesus, I said it earlier, he was very specific on peace. He said other things. He said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. In me you have peace. Jesus actually said those things. So Jesus is genuinely the answer to this problem. You get your eyes on him, in him you have peace through what he's done for us, in a very quick, rapid fire. Let's remind ourselves of a few verses. Romans 5.1, it is just rapid fire. We have peace with God. We are, therefore, since we are justifiable through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the fundamental blessing of the gospel, isn't it? You have peace with God. And that's where the shalom starts. That's where the the rolling back of the envy starts. That's where the health starts, actually. You have peace with God. You have peace with one another. Let's look at Ephesians 2.14. For he, that's Jesus, himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, that's the Jews and Gentiles in context, and has destroyed the barrier and dividing wall of hostility. So Jesus brings peace between very different people. And that's, that's going to bring health. That's going to bring well-being. That's going to bring strength and health to our lives and our bodies. He p- brings peace in him. It's not just you dealing with it and screwing up your courage or willpower. You've, it's out of Jesus. It must be. So if you've got two people in huge conflict, they've both got to do business with Jesus because he is the peacemaker. He breaks down the walls. 
It's not just human negotiation. You, you, you need the Prince of Peace ruling in you, and out of that, you begin to behave differently to one another. Third one, it, it is the shalom everywhere. And through him, this is Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is the shalom. Jesus' death on the cross is permeating everything with the peace of God. And it will bring peace to your body. I know it. I know. I know it from success and I know it from failure. I know it from getting stressed. I mean, it is easy to get stressed and get ill. I know it because I've done it. I can tell you how to do it if you want to know. I'm going to tell you now. It's very simple. We fail to trust God. The more we fail to trust God, I, John Groves, can put my name in here. It's not about just you, but we. The more we fail to trust God, we feel we have to do everything on our own. It's all down to us. The more we strive and try and do it all on our own, the more stress we feel. The more stress we feel, the more convinced we become that God doesn't care about us and therefore we have to do it all on our own. And it becomes a vicious circle. And it's only broken by getting the first bit right and trusting God. And getting right back to that. Not just trying to, you know, be mindful and breathe in ten times. I've done it all, do it all the time. But I'm all for breathing, I'm doing it now. But (laughs) what what I mean is, there are are techniques which might help actually, help to relax you and make, you know, there are, I, I mean we all do those things, they're perfectly valid. But the real root problem of that sort of cycle is a lack of trust in God. And, and you've got to get back to that and find your relationship with him restored. Keeping your heart, guarding your heart so that you don't let that peace be disturbed. Let's quickly move on. We're still looking at that one. We talked about grace and peace. Just one other major thing in that when we're thinking about a peaceful heart. Love. It tells us in 1 John 13, one, no it doesn't, tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4, love does not envy. That's interesting, isn't it? Love does not envy. So grace is an answer and understanding love is an answer. Love does not envy. It's actually impossible to really love someone and envy them at the same time, in the real meaning of the word envy. It is. Because when you love them, you want them to succeed, and you rejoice with those who rejoice, and you weep with those who weep. And as you break through from that self-centered, envy-ridden thing, you find a relief in your spirit, because actually you love them, and you don't feel threatened by their success, you feel pleased about it. And it's a lovely feeling. I've experienced both sides. I'm sure you have. You know, when you've broken away from an envy thing and you think, actually, I'm really pleased that they had a massive gift day. They've seen 100 people saved and added. I'm delighted. That's wonderful. I'm delighted that they, whatever it is, and you go on and on. And, and, you, and there's a relief in your spirit. You're able to give thanks for what's happening and you're able to... To, to show genuine concern for things that go wrong. Real compassion when things go badly. Genuine delight when they go well. Dear Mr. Arnott, who I quoted earlier, has a few things to say on this in a good way. 
He's talking about love and how it changes us. Those who are led into the love, sorry, those who are led into love walk at liberty. It is a large place. Your path is never crossed or your person jostled. Even if all the world is beside you. They did put things well, didn't they? Do you see what I mean? You know, you never feel, oh, your path is never crossed. You're never jostled, even if there's all lots of people around you, because you're walking in love. And it's all metaphoric. You've got that, haven't you? It's metaphorical in a way. He's saying, you know, you're not, you're not forever feeling, oh, who, who are they? That's my space. Whoa, they're jostling me. No, because you're walking in love. It's a picture, but it's a good picture. We can walk in love. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And love, and it's God's sort of love, not our sort of efforts, it's what he's doing in our hearts. 1 Corinthians 13 is about God's love being shed in our hearts. It's how he loves. I always, just by the way, I always think 1 Corinthians 13 is outstanding. If you read it and think this is God telling us what his love's like. Because God's not going to ask us to do something he can't do or won't do, is he? And so when he says things like love believes all things, hopes all things, love is looking for the best, you know, doesn't keep a record of wrongs, it's not, you know, you think, actually this is the qualities of Jesus' love for me. And someone has said you could put the name Jesus in instead of love and read it like that. It's good to do that sort of thing sometimes. But actually what it's saying is when Jesus is working in our hearts, it brings an answer. Love is not proud and self-seeking. Solves, snaps the cords of envy. It's not proud and self-seeking. Love protects, love hopes, love believes. It's great, isn't it? We learn to love people. It's like the most powerful weed killer in the world when it comes to envy. It's just like, you know, real top-notch stuff. It kills it off and envy. We've been killing some weeds recently in the garden. I quite like it, really. I quite like doing destructive things, generally. I'm not so good on the construct. I don't mind when Marion wants a plant hacked down or... You know, she wants a big hole dug. I can have a go, oh, weeds killed. Yeah, get, let me at it. I'll get them. I went there and found the most powerful one I could. Because we've got, we've got brambles and we've got, you know, that was, I thought, I want the big one. I want the nuclear one. Where's the nuclear one? Where you have to wear special protective clothing. <laughs> and, you know, those jolly weeds, that was next door. Not my garden. I went next door and did it. Well, I did. That's the truth. But the thing is that the owner lives in South Africa. And there's students in there, and it's just, they're all coming like monsters over our fence. So uh, I t- contacted the owner, and he said I can do it. So I got the monster stuff, and went up there, and I gave them a double dose. And you know, a lot of those weeds were still living a week later. So they got another one. They did that. <laughs> I went and bought another lot. They're not so happy now, though. So uh, they're all going brown like that. Well, that's what happens to envy when love comes in. And if it still pops its head up, give it another dose. The love of God just changes everything. Hallelujah. So let's talk finally about how we take action on all this. Try and be practical. I mean, it's sort of practical already, I hope. But, you know, how do we affect this in our lives? How does it work out for us? Just briefly as we come towards the end. Well, clearly, what we're trying to do is keep our hearts at peace. We get the peace with Jesus, but we need to keep it and to live on it, live with it. So let's look quickly at a few verses like I love to do. Colossians 3.15, look at it. Let the peace of Christ 
rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. So we've already touched it. So summing up, really, we've got to learn to be thankful instead of miserable and complaining, thankful for what we do have, for the grace of God to us. But we've also, and I like this, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Allow it, let's use a different word, allow it to rule in your heart. You see, it will come in, God brings change. He brings a new outlook. Now you need to treat the peace of God in your heart as a very precious thing. It's, it is precious. And we should not lose it lightly. We should not let our peace be disturbed. We, you know, there are things that disturb our peace. And obviously some sins are amongst those things. And, like envy. And when it's happening, don't think, well, it's just how it is. And, and, let, and sort of give in to it. Think, no, no, I don't want to lose my peace over this. You can talk to yourself like that. I don't want to lose my peace over this. This is a silly thing to lose. You know, they've just got promoted at work. They've just got good grief. They've just earned twice what I earn. No, no, wait a minute. What, whoa, 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 whoa. What's the worth losing your peace over? You'll only get ill. They're happy as Larry. You're the one that's going to get ill. So let's just let the peace of God rule in our hearts. Uh, Jesus, thank you. for the, I have got a job and I've got a salary. And Lord, I know my life's in your hands. You're my provider, whatever way you're handling with it. And, and let the peace of God, peace of Christ, rule in your hearts and rule in your relationships too. Romans 8, 6, let's flick that one up. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Ah, that's an answer, isn't it? Are you walking in the spirit? Are you being filled with the spirit? Are you regularly drinking in the spirit? Be filled with the spirit. Walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh, including envy. So let's walk in the Spirit. Let's be filled with the Spirit. Let's let the Holy Spirit begin to realign our thinking, renew our minds, as it says in another place in Romans. And one of the key elements of the fruit of the Spirit is peace. Not many of you seem to know that. Perhaps you didn't know what I was doing. I do so many odd things you don't really know, do you? What's he doing that for now? No, I was actually sort of giving you a chance to say. Sorry. But... (laughs) So, let's try it again. What is one of the key elements of the fruit of the Spirit? Peace. Yes. Well done. Seriously, and it is serious, the Holy Spirit brings that peace right into your heart. Walk in the Spirit. Don't go dry. Well, you do go dry. We all do. We go leak a bit. Come back and say, God, I need more of you. I want to be filled with the Spirit. Get someone to pray for you. Go and sing in tongues out in the car or in the street or in the water meadows you know come and draw back to God go on being filled with the spirit it is our responsibility to guard our heart you see we wouldn't be told to to guard your heart or to let the peace of Christ rule if it wasn't our responsibility so it is now let's look at one more Philippians 4 do not be anxious about anything but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your requests to God And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's good, isn't it? Really doesn't need preaching, I know. Just need to read it and do it. But actually, it's worth drawing your attention, isn't it? It is so obvious. When we're troubled and anxious, in any situation, or every situation, we need to present our request to God with thanksgiving, 
So we still come understanding all the good stuff God's given us, and we say, Lord, I'm casting this care on you. That's another verse. Cast means cast. I don't know if you've ever been fishing. Casting your line is that. Well, you, you know, you throw the line out, don't you? So cast your care on the Lord isn't cast my care on the Lord. my care on the Lord. It's cast it over on the Lord. Throw it on him. Put a bit of backbone into it. God, it's over to you. God, help me. God, it's your problem. That's how we cast our care on the Lord. Don't be anxious. Cast your care on the Lord with thanksgiving and the peace of God which transcends. I love that phrase. I know it's a long, but you know, sometimes you think, I can't even understand why I feel peaceful. I shouldn't be peaceful. I've been in situations like that as well. Thank God. They're not all bad ones. And, and you sometimes think, I'm okay because I know God's somewhere with me in it. And it transcends your understanding. So it's not a piece like, I'm okay because I know X, Y, and Z is going to happen. It's going to be okay. Well, that's fine. That happens a lot too. But this is sometimes beyond that. And you, it transcends your understanding. It's the peace of God guarding your hearts and your minds. Wonderful, wonderful stuff. One little last one, which is simply practical. You know, you hit a difficult time. What do you do? This is the last screen. You do something like this. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That's really a bit superfluous because the last verse said it anyway. But basically, it's all over the Bible. When you hit those real problems, which we all do hit, or when you hit those real temptations, which we all hit, the temptations to be very absorbed with envy, go green with envy, you know, be bitter and anxious and angry out of envy. And if you leave it, you'll get ill being envious. But if you will allow the peace of God to rule in your heart, not only will you be prevented from getting ill, I I suggest you'll begin to feel better, physically and mentally better. Suddenly, like I said, with the love thing, suddenly, you know, it was all worrying you and making you anxious and waking up in the night thinking, why don't I see that happen? And then suddenly, you just think, oh, I'm fine. Praise God. Thank you, Lord, that you're blessing them. It just makes a world of difference. And you will genuinely feel better. It is a truly healthy attitude to have.